This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean, Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The dream is made real! Ricky Hatton rocks the world! How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over! Mamma mia! He's done it! Anthony Joshua! Episode number six of Wants to Watch Season Four. I'm delighted to be joined by Irish fighter Kevin Cronin. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to come on this episode. I'm going to get to know a little bit about your journey today, so it's exciting. And obviously, I I know you from before doing this episode, and I've, I've sort of seen the early part of your career. But for the benefit of the people that are listening, it's going to be great to to get to know your journey through boxing. Yeah, thanks. Uh, look, it's uh, thanks for having me as well. Um, yeah, look, I'm looking forward to kind of getting out there to the wider audience. Um, I suppose I'm known locally, I'm known in Ireland, but um, I've had one fight over in England and, you know, it'd be nice to get known a bit more over there as well. So let, let's take it back to the beginning then, Kevin. Let's just talk about where it all began for you and, and what got you into the sport. Any early memories that you can share with us where maybe you, you, was, you was enjoying watching the sport as a kid or... Or any particular stories that that got you into this path that you're on now? Yeah, well, look, I uh, the watching fighters growing up it was definitely like the Bernard Dunn and all them. They're all they're all kind of their real motivation growing up. You know, show me how much I wanted to be involved in the sport, and really it was just Bernard Dunn and Andy Lee and them fighters. That, that, you know, when they're they're not so far away like Bernard Dunn in Dublin. Yeah, well, like and Andy Lee is he where he's from his home city is only 45 minutes up the road from where I am. So like that is very motivational team. So he's so close and yet went so far, went on to win world titles and just seeing lads like that upcoming off this small island is just, you know, it, it gives you that extra boost knowing this you can go to these places and just cause you're coming from the middle of nowhere, really, you know, the down South in a small place called Kerry, like, you know, this, you can come out of here and you can go places. 
Was was there any anything in particular that sort of drawn you into it, other than obviously seeing these guys that are that are heroes and uh, have written their names in Irish folklore? Was there anything else you know around at the time in terms of what you were doing as a kid? Was there other sports that you you were involved in that kind of pushed you maybe into this? Yeah, well, look, I guess it was all there was nothing in particular to push me into, but everything just kind of built and it built on top of each other and just made it bigger and bigger. You know, building towards coming into the sport and. Um, yeah, I used to do a lot of GEA growing up, and I guess I was <laughs> I was very hot headed on the field. <laughs> I was more of a boxer on the field than a footballer, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I wasn't made for GEA, to be honest. Uh, it was always getting involved in fights in the field and stupid things, stuff I wouldn't do now because obviously I'm mentally a lot str- stronger from boxing now and my discipline and everything. But yeah, look. I've played, I've done a lot of other sports. I've played a bit of rugby, football, soccer, but nothing compared to the love I have for boxing right now. So can you remember the first time you went in the gym? What was what was that like, the first time you walked through the doors of a boxing gym? And I know for, for, for me personally, it was, and it'll always stay with me, it'll be the smell as soon as you open them doors and the, the, just the just the stink of, of, of a boxing yeah. gym of the sweat and the you know the hard work <laughs> it's, and, great, isn't it? yeah, it's, it's something that'll stay with you for life but yeah go back to when you first walked through the doors of, of an amateur boxing gym do you know just before you said it there when you were saying the first thing I remember before you said the smell that's what came into my head I said <laughs> the smell whether is it like sweaty leather or something like that it's just It'll always stick with you, but there's just this feeling whenever you get that smell, you know, you know, you know, you're involved in boxing, and like it's it's sick, but it's great. <laughs> like every boxing, every boxing gym smells that way, and that's a uh, if you've ever been involved in boxing, you know the smell, and that's probably the first thing, yeah, boxing that I remember from going in the doors of the gym, and um, like when I first went into. Well, not when I first, I boxed a small bit. I wouldn't even say I boxed. I was just around the club when my brother was boxing when I was younger. Um, I never had any sparring or anything like that, just copying what everyone else was doing. But when I got back into this, I was about 15, 16. Um, I, I only got into it to lose weight. You know, I never thought that, what are we now, 10 years on, you know, 10 years involved in boxing, I'd be here sitting 2-0 and as a professional boxer. Never in my life did I think that would happen. But yeah, first time I went into a boxing gym, I was... I was a big boy, I barely fit through the doors, I was about 115, 120 kgs. Wow. But, um, yeah, look, when I first thing I remember for boxing, there wasn't much because I wasn't in it for the boxing, I was just in it to lose weight at the start. The boxing didn't really come into it until a year or two down the line, to be honest with you. So, so what was it like then the first time you started getting involved in some of the training aspects of, of, of boxing? And when was, when was it really that you realised that actually... This is something that, you know, you enjoy. And I know you talked about you, you having this sort of aggression that, you you know, you, you you had when you was on the field. But using the opportunities to be in the gym, using a heavy bag to throw shots on and realising, actually, this lets out a little bit of aggression. And what when was, when was it you realised when you were just trying to train to lose weight that actually this was something you wanted to get involved in? Yeah, well, I think the first time I really seriously got involved in it, I was I was I was 115 kg. I was super heavyweight, and I was into the monsters. I was boxing maybe three years at this stage, but still not taking it serious. They into me in the provincials, the monsters, and the seniors, and then um, you know I just went into it for a bit of a bit of crack, really, to be honest. 
And I was I was a messy fighter at the heavier weights, to be honest. I was a bit of a slugger. I loved to fight. And I think it was the semi-finals I got straight to, and I won that fight, and then I lost in the finals in a split. But then I was kind of like, you know, I like this. You know, I, I kind of started enjoying myself in the ring, and I started sparring more, and I started cutting a bit of weight. I was still super heavyweight, but I just cut away a small bit of weight, and I went up to the Celtic Cup, and I got to the semi-finals, and um, I lost out in the semi-finals to the guy who went down and won it at super heavyweight, which, look... I wasn't going up there to win it at 115 kgs like I was, I was a small boy that way. But um, that, I think, was the first time when I went up to the Celtic Cup and lost in the semi-final. It was the first time I said, yeah, I want to take this serious. And me and my coach, we were down the gym one day and I knew it. But he came to me and he said, look, if you if you start taking yourself a bit more serious, John, you can actually go places because, John, you can box, we just need to work on things. And uh, what we done was we cut down to heavyweight and then um, started competing there. And I went into the All-Irons at heavyweight and lost out in the final. And next thing, went away training for a couple of months. Uh, broke my hand, I was out for a couple of months, sorry. And uh, went training then for the Celtic Cup again at heavyweight. And first time in the heavyweight, uh, I won it outright. And then two weeks later, Actually, straight away after the Celtic Cup, I remember I went in a I went in a binder. I had, I had no interest in the monsters because I, I, I actually stepped up to intermediate at that stage. I had no interest in going. I didn't even know the monsters were on to be honest with you. But in winning it, and oh, we spent about a week in the beer next to my coach. He's ringing me. He said, "Where are you? Like you, you the monsters coming up next week, week and a half away." Like and I said, "Oh, yeah, I better get back train." I said, "We go up there for a bit of crack anyway," and. Because, you know, it was my first intermediates, so I kind of said, you know, I, I probably just, this is going to be an experience for me. But I went up there, and this is the first time I realized I was carrying a lot of power at the weight, and it was actually big for the weight, because I had three fights in the weekend, and I won every fight by stoppage. And I went down, and I won the Munsters, and it's odd to hear in the amateurs so many stoppages, but not one of the fights went beyond the second round. So, yeah, I started taking a lot more serious thing. When head doll Ireland's coming up, uh, broke my broke one of my knuckles or done one of my knuckles, whatever was done to it, and I was out in for a good six months, and um, because there was nothing coming up, we kind of went into January, February, March, and there was nothing in that time period. And I said, you know, I don't want to fall off the wagon, so I started cutting weight. And I said, you know, what? I said to my coach, what do you think about me making light heavyweight at eighty one? He said, it's not going to happen. You're big at you're big at ninety one. You know, you're not you're not going to make it. And I was like, oh, all right, yeah, that's fine. But I was only started working with a strict conditioning coach that time. And I was saying to him, just having a conversation, saying, oh, yeah, we were just saying, like, there's no way I'd make it. And he turned to me and he said, how long have you? And I said, I think it was like three and a half months. And he said, uh, I'll get you to 81. He goes, I promise you, I'll get you to 81. So I said to my coach, and he was still, you won't. And then he kind of made up his mind and he said, look, have a go at it. And worst come to worst, we can fight at 91 a bit lighter. And I said, okay, let's go for it. And worked the, my balls off for about three months and got down to 81 on the day. And actually, like, I knew I powered 91, but again, the amateurs went over the quarterfinals. It was in, it was Harringy, the Harringy Box Cup over in Ali Pelly. And, like, I went in with the sled and I've never... Ragged out someone as much, you know. It, the weight 
if it went, I just felt like I was two weight classes heavier than the man. Like, you know, every punch that I landed, even if I wasn't throwing power, you could see it was moving up. And I was like, you know, if I can keep making this weight, you know, I could do damage. But then I had a, the semifinals had a bit of a controversial one last out. And that's where I met my promoter. Then he he came up to me after the fight, and I I knew the face, but John, after the fight, I couldn't even put a name on him. And he came up, and he was, oh, you should have won, you should have won. And I was in kind of the mood, then I was like, John, just, just fuck off, I don't even want to know about it. Like, <laughs> but I didn't say that to him, but I was saying that in my head. But I was like, oh, yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. But then he, we exchanged numbers, and it, look, it goes from there. I was kind of... Was kind of done with amateur boxing at that stage because I was about five years, six years into it, and you know, just get bad decisions and stuff. You know, it's 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 it turned you off the sport and went away on holidays and for a couple of weeks and came back and I just all I wanted to do when I came back was get back there and jump on the scales. I was 90, 90.5 kgs or something like that. And I said, oh boys, back in ninety one, I said, there's no way I'm going to try and make eighty one again and. Then I didn't really want to get back into the competing in the amateurs. I just I didn't have the interest in it. And I don't have the goal. I didn't have the goals, any goals set for the amateurs because it wasn't something I was interested in. But my style would have always been suited to the pros. And when I got back talking with my manager now, who's my manager now, Leonard Gunning, and he was telling me, "John, it's suited to me. It's suited to me." And when I thought about it, I had a lot more goals that I wanted to set in the pros than in the amateurs. So that's. That's a sharp version of the story of how I ended up turning professional. A couple of questions then, Kevin, about mm. that period of time. For for anybody that probably doesn't realise how difficult it can be in the amateurs and, and, and the, the amount of things you have to do to keep yourself on point, you've got to keep your weight on check all the time. It's not like being a professional boxer, as we'll come into later on in the conversation. You've got to keep your weight on point all the time to be able to compete. Sometimes you're fighting more than once a day if you're in a tournament. And the, there's various different elements of, of amateur boxing that people probably don't realise. And you've, you've had a bit of a storied amateur career going through what you've explained to us, but... Just, just talk to me about how difficult it was trying to keep focus, trying to, trying to keep yourself in check, knowing that you've got tournaments coming up left, right, and center, knowing that you've got to be able to be on point for the weight, and knowing that you you've got the potential to to go quite far on the amateur circuit. I think people don't really understand how how difficult it can be, and I think that is the perfect opportunity for someone like yourself to to just break it down a little bit more. You've given us a background of how you've gone on in the amateur scene, but take it take away from it the actual competing side of it. How difficult was it to kind of do everything to get yourself in the ring every time you was there? Yeah, look, it, it was difficult because I was someone who liked uh, good feed. <laughs> so <laughs> after a fight, I used to like to enjoy myself for a week, John, and then get back, get back in the wagon. But I was kind of... I'm kind of different to other people, but there's a lot of people in the same boat as me. My metabolism is shot. If I, some lads could weigh in 81, take a week off, even go on a holiday, forget about their diet, and they jump in the scales at 84 and a half kgs or something, say, oh, geez, I'm after putting on three and a half kgs since last week. If I take a week off, if I weigh in 81 kgs and come back after a week on holidays, I'm sitting at a scale at 93 or 94 kgs, like, you know. So I really just have to watch my weight the whole time because 
one or two days with me and I'm gone completely up a weight class or two. But it is, look, it's tough. But once you have a goal set in your mind and if you really want that, you'll be watching yourself. And if you're not watching yourself or trying to keep your weight down, then how bad do you really want it? Then is the other question. You know, you don't want it that bad if your weights, if you can't just keep your weight in check. But then again, that was in the amateurs. In the pros, it's kind of different. You can you can walk around six kilos heavier than what you would have walked around the amateurs, even more. Like, you know, you could walk around, like I've been walking around well over two stone over my weight until a couple of weeks ago where I said, just get start getting the diet back in track now because you see the Eddie Hearn cards and everything being coming up. Like, you know, you can get a phone call in the morning and say, oh, fight notice, three days, Sky Sports, do you want it? You've three days to make 79 kg. I don't want to be walking around 94 kg for that. So I'd be happy to enjoy, get down to 85 kgs that way and sit around there for a while while this pandemic is going on, just in, just in case you get the call. But um, yeah, uh, back to your question. It's difficult to keep track and all that. But if you want it bad, it's not as difficult as you could make it. So let's talk about you moving into the, the professional side of the sport. You mentioned... A few things there when you were talking about your amateur career, you mentioned about obviously the difficulties there are. There's issues with sometimes going to a to an away show and 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 winning a fight, but not winning the fight on the cards. And we know how how much that happens all the time. Literally every single weekend when boxing's on in the amateur side of the sport, there's always like a bad decision and 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 something that happens in the pros as well, of course, but not as much as it does in the amateurs. So you've moved over, you've turned professional, you've made that decision. What was it that that spun you in that direction? Was it just a natural, you know, progress for you to say, right, I've I've done what I can as a as an amateur now. I think it's time that I've got to move into the professionals because, as you said earlier, you felt like you've got this style, like most fighters do. They've got this sort of style that's suited to be able to fight as a professional, as mm-hmm. opposed to doing this all action sort of fencing style that you do in the amateur scene. Yeah, um, it wasn't so much the bad decisions that turn me over because look, I can't go on about bad decisions either because you know, you're on the wrong side of them and it's sickening but I can't say I wasn't on the right side of them either, like I can't say there was a couple of fights in the amateur career where I shouldn't have won and I won, you know, in our own home show um, so I can't just keep going on about that and, and it's never the other person's fault either um, but, sorry, what was, the, what was the second part of that question again? Uh, the second part of the question was really just for you to talk about the decision to turn over. What I was mentioning was the fact that you've you've obviously had your amateur career, you've done your amateur career, then at that point you've decided, hang on a minute, I, I think I'm going to turn professional. I suppose the reasons are, why did you turn professional? And was it just because it was the natural progression for you as a fighter at that time? Yeah, I think, look, the reason I turned professional in the finish was I was I was in love with the sport but I wasn't in love with that side of the sport and I was I couldn't figure out why I was so attached to it yet I didn't want to fight anymore you know I didn't want to be in, going into throwing on that fist and jumping in the ring again but then at the same time I was just obsessed and I was like how do I want to do it so bad and not want to do it so bad at the same time and it was just like I just had to take a bit of time and figure out what was going on that I was so obsessed with it but anytime my coach said John we go up John I get you on a few shows or something I was like no I don't want it anymore but yet I showed up every day training and I didn't know what was going on 
And when I got back talking to my manager, Leonard, and he he was just saying, you know, a good coach, he said that he thinks my style at suit would be Jonathan Lewins in Dublin. And so I said, you know what, what what's the harm? I went up and I started working with Jonathan in Dublin. And it was kind of, you know what, it was kind of weird at the start. I was telling myself, maybe, maybe the coaches don't suit me as well as I thought they would. But then uh, all of a sudden, just one day, we were sparring on the pads and things like that one session. And next, everyone just, everything just started coming together. And it was like everything was clicking together. I started, I just started getting a lot more pop behind my shots while I was sitting down with my feet. And I find I can actually move my feet a lot faster as well while I'm sitting on them than I could actually being on my toes in the amateur. So that was the turning point for me. And I was on the verge of turning over, but I wasn't guaranteed in my own head whether I should do it or not. And then once everything started ticking, went down another week and everything was just getting better and better and better and I just knew then I said, you know what, it is for me. This job this is this is why I'm still obsessed with the sport. I love boxing, but it was just the amateur boxing I wasn't in love with doing anymore. And not because of decisions or anything job. Everyone knows what goes on. It happens in pro boxing too, right? Yeah. But it was just I think it was just trying to figure out which style I wanted to fight at. Like now I want to fight the whole time. Whereas in the amateurs, I was just trained the whole time, but I didn't want to fight the whole time because I didn't want it anymore. So I think that's how I ended up turning over in the finish was I just knew that that's what I wanted. And once I started training in boxing good as a pro, I just started setting all these goals in my head that I wanted to do as a professional. And I went to watch a show in Dublin and there was a light heavyweight contest on and I was the light heavyweight Irish champion I was fighting on it. And... I was just watching it, and I was like, oh, I, just, I was just watching. I was like, oh, I could, I, I, till I thought in my head anyway. You know, I probably wouldn't looking back at that point. I was like, oh, I could jump in the ring right now and win that Irish title, but, but I definitely think I could now. But probably at that point, I was, I needed more time. But that's what that was another main factor that had me turn over. I was watching it, and I was there. Yeah, I could do these fellas like so. Yeah, they were the final decisions really for me. I started working good with Jonathan and just watching the the best light heavyweight in Ireland defending his strap like and I was just sitting ringside, hadn't even had a pro fight, hadn't even signed a contract, looking at him thinking I could win that title. Like You've had two pro fights so far in your career. Twenty nineteen's when you made your debut. First fight at the National mm-hmm. Stadium in Dublin, which I'm sure was a big thing and I'm sure you'll talk to me about that in a minute. Second fight in London and, and then obviously your career, your career's been on the back burner for for various reasons, which I'm sure you'll you'll delve into a little bit. But going back to the 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 pro debut at the National Stadium in Dublin, how how much of a proud moment was that for you? Yeah, look, my pro it was great. You know, the feeling looking back at this, you know, you might even if you went down, if I go on and win a world title, I might never get the feeling that I got, you know, for the first time turning pro in front of John. You know, Everyone that came up to watch me, a big crowd, and it was a nice card too on TG Cahar, John Irish Television. So, like, I couldn't have been given a better card to debut on. It was it was hectic. It was just unreal. Um, looking back at it, like you make the hair stand in your arms, just thinking the the feeling in there, and then to to get a good stoppage as well in the in the last round. So I got to I got to box my way to the last round. I didn't get to stop it, so it wasn't just a go in and blow them out of the park in the yeah. first and then wonder, oh, wouldn't you like if that went down another couple of rounds? It was actually boxed for four rounds and then get to stop it. So that's 
even out in titles and everything I won as an amateur, that's my standout moment, my debut. I don't there there won't be a feeling like that for another while unless unless I get a fight in my home county, which I'm really pushing for for a title to get a fight here. I don't think I'll get that feeling again. Um went over to London then. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the London fight, but it was it was a completely different style. I boxed in my first fight in the National Stadium, and then I went into the London fight. I didn't even. This is this is why I think I can actually I can go places, and it's not being cocky. It's it's being confident, knowing the work I'm putting in. Is I didn't even come out in neutral in London, and I'd done that lad a lot worse than most of the lads I've ever seen fighting him, even big names have done to him. Like, so that's one of the main reasons I think you know, I can go a long way in this sport. There was a lot of, um, talking about that second fight at the York Hall in London, and there was a lot of guys that I've been in the ring with, with, with that opponent, that particular opponent. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. I think it's An- Andrejevs. I think is his surname, and you got in the ring with him. But you know, you look at his record, you look at the people he's been in with. A lot of them are prospects from your division that have gone on, and and some of them have even gone on to to, to bigger and, and and better heights in the career. So as you were saying, it must have given you that confidence that you probably needed at that point to sort of say, well, if I can, you know, basically bully this guy around the ring, just just do what I've done to him, then you must. It must have automatically sort of instilled the confidence into you to say, right, well. You know, I can fight in a different style and I can do things to a guy and basically tie my way around the ring with a guy who who's not really had many people do that to him. His record might not suggest that. People might look at a record and go, hang on a minute, look at that record. It's uh, it's shocking. But we, we know inside the sport that a lot of these guys are, are really, really hard, hard fighters on, on and they're there to, to do a job and they're there to give guys like yourself the experience you need. But sometimes... You know, there's there's a few exceptions to the rule where some guys will go in, like yourself, and you'll do something different, and this guy will basically look every bit of the record that shows on on the on the system, and it's like, well, hang on a minute, if I've got this guy and I can do this to him, this is giving me this bit of confidence to sort of move forward in your career, and then your career's kind of stopped dead from there. Obviously, we've got the global pandemic. You know, I don't want to dwell too much on that in the conversation, but we know it's had a big factor on grassroots boxing. But at that point then, you must have been on top of the world. You must have been ready for another fight. I suppose my question would be, is is what happened from, from there after that fight? Yeah, everything was going great after that fight. I've been, I, I, do you know what? I think it was the first time after a fight where I didn't you know, go out for a couple of days and enjoy myself and take some time off. I got I got straight back in there. I was up to Dublin. I, let's say we got, I can't remember what day we got back. It was like the Monday or something. I was back up in Dublin to, you know, that Wednesday and back training hard and I trained with my coach down here as well, Patrick O'Brien, down in Kerry. We were working, like, John, because I, even though I gave that lad in London a bad doing, and I just still felt like if I just even stepped out of neutral into first gear, I would have, John, he wouldn't have went two rounds with me. So I was kind of kicking myself at the same time. You know, I, I'm very hard on myself, but I have to be sometimes. But we were, look, I was the top of the world after that fight. I said, we got back working, we were working hard. I said, I kept ringing my manager. I said, what's there, what's there? Do you want to give me a fight? Like, I, you know, I want to be more active. And he knows I want to be active and I'm still that way. But we got a fight in Scotland and that was only a couple of weeks later, I think. Yeah, it was, it was only gone a couple of weeks and he rang me and he said, look, there's a fight there in Scotland and 
Siobhan O'Leary and another girl were going fighting for the Celtic title, the Celtic Nations title, I think, actually. But he says, do you want, do you want that fight? Light heavyweight? And I said, yeah, 100%. I, I'm taking it. Um, that, is, that was perfect. Everything was going well. We're, I, was in, I was at work on the Wednesday. I was going flying out on the Thursday night. And next thing, I got a phone call. And it was a... It was another one of the guys that's over our promotion, Stephen Sharp. And I knew when he was ringing me, I kind of looked at the phone and it was one of my friends work with me. And I just looked over at him and I said, I said to him straight away before I answered the phone, I said, this fight is off. I said, your man's injured. Something's after happening. And I was saying, all oh, these bad things were coming to my head. I said, oh, fuck, you know, like, because there was like, I'm a good ticket seller and everyone had you know, they all had their flights booked and everything. I was like, oh, no, what's judge? Please don't give me a bed. That's my answer. And just the way he said, Kevin, I said, oh, fuck. And next and then he said, um, I, do, I don't know what happened there, to be honest. I, was there something? I think there was another guy going headlining it as well. Or, or not headlining it. Sorry, yeah. The, I don't think, I'm not sure it was the two girls fighting for the Celtic title headlining it or co-headlining it. But there was something, the first story I was told was something like, he's not fighting on it, sort of after pulling the whole card, and I don't know, it was like a hometown lad or something. I can't, do you know what, I can't even remember, because I didn't really listen to that part of the story. I was just like, so is it off? And they were like, yeah. And then I was like, well, fuck it, you know, this is sickening. Um, and then it was just a case of, I had to ring all my sponsors that day, you know, I was trying to explain to them, look, I don't know how to tell you, you know, after they, you know, they look, they were great to me, they, my flights were booked, hotels were booked, you know, all the costs were covered and there is a lot of costs, especially when you're traveling. And then I got that out of the way. I was telling them and they're great. They were all like, don't worry about what you know, these things happen. But I just felt bad for them. I said, the next thing when I got off the phone to them, it was actually, I looked at your man, my friend next to me again, and I go and he goes, you have a flight booked, don't you? I was like, oh, shit. He never said anything to kind of click with me. And I was like, oh, no, you have a flight book. Next night, paused for a second. And I goes, oh, no, <laughs> there's about 40 of them with flights booked. So then it was a case of another 40 phone calls trying to apologize. But look, everyone was great about it. They, they really, they couldn't, they couldn't give a damn. They just want to, they just want to get over there and they want to kind of make a scene. And that's what I love about them. They, they'll keep coming. Uh, I can't, you know, I can't remember. I think I was, there was another fight in England. I, uh, my head is, my head is gone. But there was another fight in England in sometime near the winter. And I'm trying to picture it, but I, I can't remember it right. I think it might have been another York Hall fight. And that felt true. I'd have to go back to my social media to remember it. But there was another one like that. And the same thing, I got a phone call. But I remember this time, there was nothing booked. John, no one had anything booked. And that it wasn't too bad, but I just it just turned in from everything was going hundred percent. The roller coaster was flying, and next thing it just came to a standstill. Everything turned shit like, and I was fighting in Cone Municipal Hall in Manchester. Yes, and I'm not sure where it is. Again, I was I don't know who I was fighting. There was a a light heavyweight fight. At the head, at the headline of it, and I got a phone call. They said, "Do you want to fight in this card? The undercard of this?" And I said, "100 percent, give it to me." It's for March. This was actually in January, so I had good preparation coming into, and got the weight down, and everything. About it was a week. It was a week before it. It just didn't fall through. This is actually my own. I 
I pulled out. I pulled out of this fight, so there's no point in being dishonest about it. I, I did pull out of the fight, but it was on like the 31st of March, and everything started. It was it was kind of a scary time because it was the first time coronavirus just it kind of got bad in England. There was nothing in Ireland yet. Next thing, a case cases came in Ireland. The next thing on the news, John, it started getting worse and worse and worse. And at the start, we didn't know how bad it was, so it was like, John, you get it, you die. Kind of, we were thinking in the head, like, John, was we didn't know how bad it was, and it was scary. And first thing that came into my head was, if this many people are getting it, we get in the plane. Me and my whole team get it, you know. How bad will we be? Like, you know, are we, could we die from it? Could you, could this death? And I, I rang my coach and I said, look, what do you think? And he was saying, um, I don't mind. He said, if you want to go for it, we go for it. But look, I, I just said, look, I, I think for safety reason, I said, we'll just leave it off. And I said, look, it'll be all over in a month's time and we'll get back in there and we'll get another fight quick. I said, we'll stay on waiting all that. And here we are one year later. It's crazy. it's crazy, isn't it? It's just crazy how it's affected the world and how it's it's just affected boxing massively. And it, it's left me with a, quite a few questions for you, really. Obviously, a fighter in your position who is 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 just getting into his rhythm as a professional fighter, fights start to come up. Yeah, obviously, sometimes fights fall through for various reasons. We know that's part of the sport. But then, just when you think something's coming along, and you, you're coming back over to the you you come back over to England, and you were fighting in the the Colin Municipal Hall, and it's like right, I've got a fight. It's over. It's near Manchester in the UK. It's another good way to get exposure to to different different audiences and different parts of of England. And then, because of the pandemic, because of how bad it was getting, as you rightly pointed out it was obviously the right decision for you and your team to, to pull out of a fight. And I don't think anyone would hold that against you, you know, for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really I wouldn't. I'd like to find somebody who would kind of hold that against a fighter. Why, why would you take that risk until it was safe to do so? And then, obviously, we had no boxing. So what? Over here, I think the first show was a Frank Warren show in the UK in July. And then slowly but surely, things have started to get better. And then Christmas has come and it's just getting worse again. And we're back in the same position in England now as we speak where we're in another lockdown. There's no boxing. The British Boxing Board of Control have said no until at least the middle of February. So there's going to be no shows. We know there's a few shows that have been planned in. So for you going forward now, what what do you see yourself doing? I mean, I know, I know you want to get a fight this year. I know you're pushing hard to get a few fights this year, but... How how feasible is it going to be for you to do that, given the uncertainty of of what's going on? And I suppose what I'd like to also know, as a second part to that question, is you mentioned about being a big ticket teller. It, we know that there's no fans there, or there's a very limited amount of fans there. We know that a lot of people are going to come and buy them tickets, which are going to give you what you need to, to cover the cost of having an opponent and making money and paying your fees out and everything else that comes with it. How does this now affect you, and, and and what do you do to plan around this? Yeah, so just going back to when you started talking there, as you mentioned about you know, the fights coming up in England, and um, it is unfortunate because that fight in Cone was meant to actually kick off 2020 for me, and I was going, I was looking to have six fights, and I was actually looking to have about five of them in the UK because I was, I, I said to my management, you know, I, I loved it over in York Hall, I said, I'd like to build myself over there. There's a lot of Irish in England and there's a lot of English and Scottish and Welsh that, that like watching the Irish 
fight over in England. So I said, you know what, let's travel over, let's let's build a following over here, and it'll, you know what, maybe in the next year or two to work out, you you could see people coming from all over to come watch me fight in my hometown. Like, but yeah, going back to that, um, this ticket sales, I ne- I never cared about making money out of this sport. I, I'm not in it to make money. And you know what? If I was in it to make money, I'm wasting my time because if I'm looking at the money, I'm going to take my eyes off the ball. And if you take the eyes off the ball in this game, you're going to get spacked, like, especially in these weight divisions that are heavier. Like, I'm in the heavyweight divisions. Um, the crowds, I get a good push off the crowd. But at the same time, it wouldn't be a bad experience to fight without a crowd because my only fear would be would I treat it like a spare and just pepper away with my jab or you kind of have to get used look just have to be put in uncomfortable positions and work with it and no look i didn't need ticket sales to cover my fights as i said my sponsors i i have very good sponsors and they look they cover all the costs for me they're, they're great like in fairness they're brilliant to me and i think they know the potential that's there and they're really backing me in the sport and what the future holds Look, I got a phone call yesterday and I say I was told it's a possible fight for me March 6th out in Europe. Would I take it? And I, you know, I actually haven't answered the question yet because I was speaking with my, man, my coach and he said, just leave him and think about it for a few days, just see what situation he's in because I won't be traveling without him, obviously. And I don't get to travel up to him. I haven't been up to him since before Christmas because he's three and a half hours away from me and we have these restrictions in now uh, where you can only stick with five kilometers. But um, look, if he if he says he's happy to go, I'm going to take that fight 100% because I want to get out there now. And I had planned on three or four four-rounders and then jumping into six-rounders. But look, I've been sparing good all 2020. You know, when, when they gave us the go-ahead that we can spare, the elite and professionals can train, I, you know, I've been sparring and I'm sparring good and sparring longer rounds and I'm ready for a six rounder now. I'm just gonna I'm not gonna bother with two more four rounders. I'm gonna jump straight in there at a six rounder. Maybe hopefully then if I get that fight in March, get a six rounder and I wanna get hopefully three fights before September in if not four fights. And if I get two six rounders, I'd love one eight rounder. They could, you know, just set me up for hopefully a good fifty fifty fight at the end of the year. So genuinely then, I don't want to know what your actual ambitions are as, as being a professional fighter. The easiest answer would be, I want to become a world champion. But I suppose, yeah. what what would be the minimum benchmark for you, you know, to, to get to? So I, I, I haven't a goal on a world, I have no goal on a world title yet. It's something I want, obviously, every boxer wants it. My goal right now, I'm setting them at a pace, you know, I want to go on, win an Irish title or a Celtic title. But look, I... My goal right now over the next two to three years is I want I want to be European champion. In the next three years, I, I have to be European champion in the next three years. That's the way I'm looking. At it. It's it's how I that's how I'm built. I just I'm looking at it. That's my goal, and I'm not going to stop till I get it. So I want to be the European champion in the next couple of months. Look, if I get an Irish title fight at the end of this year, which I'm hoping, hoping I'm really crossing my fingers, all going well. Obviously, I have to perform and I can't take anyone for granted in the fights this year before we can get an Irish title fight. But I won an Irish title fight at the end of this year. Yeah, remember, if you win an Irish title, I think it's like the top, your point to the top 15 in Europe straight away. Yeah. You know, so 
you're, you're on the verge of the European title. Obviously, again, the Irish title. Look, the domestic fights, most of them are tougher than, than fighting for a European title or anything like that because there's a lot more hype behind domestic fights and the crowds and everyone, you know, it's like, I suppose, like an English title, if an English person fighting for the English title. It's a big thing, you know. So, look, I take it as taking my stride. I won an Irish title this year, and if I can get the Irish title this year, I'm, I'd love to break through for a European shot next year. I think one of the things that I've, uh, a lot of us have noticed, you know, looking at the way the sport's changed because of coronavirus, is that it's given the opportunity for people to step up and take a chance now, rather than people waiting one to two years to to go into these types of domestic dust ups that you're talking about. People are just putting, being forced to to go together and, and get it on now, rather than waiting six six seven fights down the line. People are being forced to fight each other now. Given the opportunity would arise for you, if so, if they said to you in six months' time, say by the end of 2021, you've had maybe a couple of fights, and then they say, right, we've got this fight for you, Kevin. It's it's a domestic fight. It's an undefeated fighter like yourself in the light heavyweight division. Would you take it? That would be my question. Would you take it without a shadow of a doubt? Yeah, well, like obviously, I'd have to bring my coach first because I'd take nothing without you know going by him. But that's I'm built like I'm built this way. I I take it in a heartbeat and. It was only, I can't remember who was, there was a guy doing some filming on me just in the gym a couple of months back, and he rang my manager, he just wanted to talk to my manager, you know, just to get to know some bits for the background of the video, and uh, look, we were just doing it because we had time on our side, but he was asking my manager questions, and it was, I was laughing when he, when he was answering them, because it, it is how I've been, but I've never realised that he was kind of like, it's, his, it's my job to put the reins on Kevin and hold him back. Which he has been doing because I've been trying to push on Joe, give me this leg, give me this leg. And he was like, wait, just take another fight or two, take another fight or two. They're trying to build me in that way, but look, I'd take him in a heartbeat. Let's say one Eddie Hearn rings and says he wants me to fight his undefeated fighter. Not a bother, we're on with. It's the way I'm built. So let's let's take it away from the boxing for for now. We've talked a lot about your career, a lot about the boxing, your journey yeah. through the sport so far. Let's just take it away from that. Outside of outside of the sport, I suppose what I'd like to know, and and I'm sure what the listeners would like to know as well, is a bit more about you and and what you do actually get up to as a person away from boxing. I know a lot. I ask this question to a lot of boxers, and they'll 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 tell me the same answer, which is just I'm focused on boxing. I'm focused on boxing. I I get that. But what what do you do? You know what actually makes you tick as a person when you when you're not thinking about the sport or you're not training and what what do you generally like to get up to? Yeah, look, anyone involved in the sport is obsessed and they know it's all they think about the whole time is what they what they're gonna do in boxing. But outside of it, you you need your headspace. You're gonna fry yourself if you keep thinking of it. Like if you just if you spend twenty four hours of the day thinking about this fight you want or where you want to be, you're, you're going to do your own hitting, you're going to be your own worst enemy. And look, I get my trainings in the day when I'm not training. Me and the girlfriend, we go for walks, we, we do our own thing, we just take my mind completely off box. And look, I, I work with the fire brigade, so we're out on calls. I, I don't be thinking about boxing at them times because if you are, you're going to do your hitting, and that's not good for you. Look, outside of boxing, um, I'm a firefighter. Uh, you go, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I go for a lot of walks. <laughs> you have no life when you're boxing, like so. It's not like you can go to house parties, drinking and whatnot. So, but yeah, look, we I just try to take my whole mind off of boxing. We go for long walks and 
we just we just do other things, bring the dog places, and then I have work with the fire brigade. So that's basically my life outside of boxing. I wouldn't really be drinking a lot or drinking at home or anything now, to be honest with you. Um, kind of keep that for after fights, maybe after a fight, go out for a night or two and enjoy yourself. But that's that's literally my life outside of boxing is <laughs> walks, <laughs> bringing it out for a walk, the fire brigade. Um, look, when things get back to normal, a small bit, I don't see the family a lot with this pandemic because I'm living a bit further away now because I had to move with work. But out when there's no pandemic, like I spend a bit of time with the family as well. I have nieces and nephews and I have a niece and nephew over in England as well. So once this pandemic is over, like I won't be thinking about boxing the minute this is over and trying getting on a flight and then let's go over and see them because, you know, they were meant to come over at Christmas and you went into, it was a tier four. Yeah. And they, they couldn't get home then for Christmas. So, Look, um, outside of boxing, I just want to jump some family time when I get older and see the niece and nephew once this is all over and things are good to go. And that's basically my life outside of boxing. How did you get? How did you get into the fire brigade? How did you end up becoming a firefighter? You know, it was. It sounds it sounds stupid saying it when you say it. when you're a child. You know, I want to be a guard. I want to be this. I want to be an astronaut. But I always did. It's always even movies and everything, you know, watching the fire brigade and stuff. I was always like, geez, I'd love to be a firefighter. And growing up, you know, I didn't think much about it. It was always just something stupid saying, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be a firefighter? You know, I'd like to be a firefighter. And um, I guess when I kind of got older, when I went over 18, and there was, I was actually, at that point, I was like, you know, if it comes up sometime, I, like, I've got very good fitness levels. I've joined great under pressure, obviously, from boxing. So it's kind of like, John. You know, firefighting it suit me you know and um luckily enough for me uh jobs came up in the fire brigade and a lot went from and luckily enough i was in i was in the small bunch that got picked to go and do the fitness tests and the trials and the courses to see was i be able to get in and luckily enough i did get in i had to i had to move from my hometown into uh, into a new area and all that that was probably the toughest because when we got in the pandemic just actually started and everything went into lockdown and we got a phone call saying oh do you know just because you're coming into the lockdowns after starting now you'd be starting a small bit earlier so from tomorrow on do you know you're calling you'll get your pages and i was kind of like oh no because everyone else you know they got the there was three uh, three others yeah got the in the same in the same station as me came on at the same time and they all lived in Tralee and I guess you're meant to be living in the jurisdiction or willing to move and I guess they presumed you know we're all living there next time I was like oh yeah I love this tomorrow next time I put down the phone and he goes I'm living <laughs> half an hour away from this place <laughs> I'm living at home I have no houses and what am I going to do and next time my girlfriend um, my girlfriend rang this agency and this is actually when the first lockdown started she rang the, it was a Friday evening she rang this agency they said uh, we'll give you a call in the morning and you can come in and look at the house and look if you want to take it you can take it straight away if you're happy and she said oh perfect and next thing boom that night level 5 lockdown from tomorrow on so I said oh shit but you know what I said oh at least we got in touch with your man we're safe next time I went to ring him the next morning and sure he was with offices like and they had closed and they were gone and no answer they were closed like so no answer to the house wasn't going to be available until we came out of lockdown. 
And I was like, what am I going to do? And look, luckily enough, the lads were good. One of the lads that I trained with for the fire brigade let me, let me stay with him for a couple of nights. And it was just pure luck that my missus, my girlfriend's neighbour, owned a house in Tralee. And they, they where the station is. And the person who was living there for 15 years had just moved out. And she was doing up the house. But she said it won't be ready for two weeks, you know. And it, she says, kind of like a building site. And I said, oh, <laughs> I live in this building site. So I moved in the, the house. Was, it was basically like a building site. But I said, look, I throw blankets on the bed. I'm happy out. And uh, it was just, it was pure luck. I got into the house the Monday. Then, and only for that, I don't know where I'd be, to be honest. How mentally challenging is it? I mean, I, I've never done a job like that myself. So I couldn't really compare it to anything. You you're a professional fighter, so you have to get yourself mentally prepared in a certain way to be ready to go in the ring. But how do you get yourself mentally prepared for a job like that? And have you have you had to go into any instances that have have have, have really changed your perspective? I mean, I don't know how. Is there any instances that you've been involved in where you thought this has just changed my perspective on 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 what the job's all about, what life is all about, and. And how difficult is it to, to prepare for two separate roles? Because that's what you're doing. You're you're a firefighter by day, and you in the evenings when you when you're boxing in the ring, you, you, you've different, completely different challenges. Yeah, like our first when we first started, we were getting a lot of um. We came in. It was it's called garth season, where farmers can burn the bushes on their land. So when we first got in, our first few calls were dim, you know, putting out bushes and stuff. So it was tough, but it was job. You know, it wasn't like looking at something very bad tough and i was i was i was asking i just kept asking this lad i was like john how bad is it you know when you see something he was kind of all he kept saying was you know you kind of have to see it to know but he said once you put on once that page goes off and when you said how do you prepare for something you can't really prepare for it you kind of just have to be prepared all the time because once the page goes off you and going to the station, you don't know what you're going to till you get there. Like so, um, you can't really prepare on the way. But look, it was as as that guy said to me when I asked him, and I've seen a few bad situations since. But um, as he said to me, once once you once you put on the kit and you're just you go into this different mind frame. You're there to do a job, and you're not thinking of oh geez, look at this. This is disgusting. Kind of like you know you're. You're there, you're just doing your job. You're not looking at that. You're just watching what you're doing and making sure you're doing it right. So, um, look, I guess I'm just, I'm just lucky that I am meant to be strong in that job. And I never had any problems, you know, like that. So, look, it's tough, but I'm, I'm kind of mentally prepared for anything, really. Going into the sponsorship side of things, we men- you mentioned it earlier. You mentioned how good they were, your sponsors, with you. And we know how big that is for a fighter at uh, such a young such a young age and, and such early on in the career you've you've mentioned them a few times and I think probably you've probably got a long list of them and I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna ask you now I'm gonna ask you to to give them a shout out of course they are give them guys a shout out this is, yeah. this, this is the time well, to I, do it I like I well I have them on the list just opening the page because I I was actually doing a podcast uh, about two weeks ago, and someone asked me um, asked me about the sponsors. And I said, "Oh, yeah, no bother." Shooting them off my head, but next thing I forgot two, and I was like, "It was coming to the end of the interview, and it was five or ten minutes was gone since he asked me." Like, and I was kind of like, "Oh shit!" And after forgetting these, and I was like, "They start listening. They're going to see I forgot them." And next thing he was talking, and I just goes, 
oh wait and he goes what and I goes Nixon I just named the two sponsors and he was like what <laughs> I goes I forgot two sponsors <laughs> but uh, yeah look I'm, I'm just going to read them off the list because I don't want to Go forget for any of them like it's not like I don't remember them I do because they're great Tommy and they're all I personally know them all and they have been great to me and many of them even came on at the end of my amateur career when we were traveling and stuff and I guess they just they know the potential because I was I had a bit of a name as well in the amateurs in my home company. But um look just carry drain service and relevant and dismantlers and animus takeaway. They're there since since before I turned over they came on the amateurs, so they're like they're a real part of the family now, like they're <laughs> they're there they're there for good, like they're 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 part of the family. Um we have custom gym equipment, we have P V fitness. P V fitness is actually my strict and conditioning coach. Um Look, he's. I wouldn't be getting into. You need you need a strength conditioning coach, and like if if I didn't meet with him, that when I did, I wouldn't have went to eighty one for the fight in London, and basically I wouldn't be where I am today because if I fought over there in ninety one, even if I won Haring or whether I lost, I wouldn't have got the same results or felt the same way in the ring without him. So, look, only for him, I wouldn't be where I am. Uh, there's Hercules Gym, SB Sports, and then look, just a shout out to Boxnard and my my promotions and my manager, Leonard Gunning, and Stephen Sharp, and then obviously Colin from CM Sports, because uh, look, he's been good to me as well. He started me out with a lot of, inter- a lot of interviews, a lot of guys, and um, look, it's great to get the publicity as well. So, two final questions before we wrap this up, then, Kevin. Boxing related questions. Go to fight, what would it be? Oh, I do you know what I'd probably say I'd love to go see Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua, but I there's just something about Arthur Vetterbeer versus Dimitri Bivol. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it, and I'd love to be ringside for it. I just think it would be an unbelievable fight. So, second question: If you're going on YouTube and you're looking to look at a, a fight from history, which one would you go to? Oh, I've gone to it a hundred times over, and it's it's not the fight; it's the round, round nine, Arthur Getty versus yeah. um, versus. Oh, my name, my head goes fried. Getty versus Ward, sorry, yeah. round nine. It's always I don't even watch the fight. I watch the fight a few times, but anytime it's just I wake up in the morning, type in round nine, Getty versus Ward, watch the round, and then straight off the box and train, and just you'll be your head will be blown off from the fight like all you want to do box after. Favorite fighter of all time. Of all time, um, I never thought of who my favorite of all time was. I, he's still active, and I know he's only fought one really big name, but I really, really like Arthur Bedebeus. Yeah, he's this. I just think I don't think he'd be beat. the only person I think they could beat him would be Bivol. And other than that, if I, I can't, I can see him doing Bivol as well. Like, I, I just can see him stopping Bivol, but um. Of all time, you know, I'd, I'd probably... Arthur Gatti would be a very good one as well. It'd be between Arthur Gatti and... Yeah, probably for the fights he's been in as well, Arthur Gatti. Yeah, amazing. No, it's Arturo Gatti. 
<laughs> it's a great pick. It's a great pick. He's just been in so many fights over the years that, yeah. that he was involved in, and he's great, great fan fan friendly fighter to watch, isn't he? So it's um, it's it's a different oh, yeah. pick, you know. A lot of a lot of people pick different fighters for different reasons, and that's a great reason for it. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's it's great to know who who some of them people are that you you kind of look at when you when you want to get some type of inspiration. And it's it's been a yeah. pleasure wrapping up this episode. It's been a pleasure to have you on, Kevin. It's been. Uh, great to know what your story's been all about. Great to know where your amateur career ha- has been, how you've gone through the different different levels of, of the sport and how you've got into the professional side of it, how coronavirus has obviously impacted on your professional career and, of course, where you plan to go with the boxing career as well. There's a lot to look forward to. And in 12 months' time, we should get down and speak again. And hopefully we'll be talking in a different, different way because we'll be talking about where your career is at because hopefully we'll be saying right well you've had at least three or more three or four more fights now and 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 what the experiences have been like and boxing in front of potentially no crowd or very limited people what the whole being in a bubble is going to be all about for you there's there's just so many different elements to the way boxing is at the moment that it's going to be a different conversation the next time we speak but i just want to thank you for coming on and and thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to me yeah look uh thanks for having me uh it's been great talking to you and uh yeah, look, just thanks for having me. And hopefully we speak again. And let's hope we have a couple of more wins in that record when we speak next. And hopefully it's not a year like last year where coronavirus is completely out and down. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.